provide, does this integration provide a lot of distribution for us? Does it provide a lot of revenue for us? And does it potentially cannibalize us? Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Michael Mendel, who's the CEO of CompStack. CompStack is a company that employs a crowdsourced model to gather commercial real estate information for investors, brokers, asset managers, appraisers, and more. Michael, how's it going? Yeah, thanks for being here right before the right before the new year. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit kind of what your background is and what your story is overall? Sure. So um, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, went to school in Boston. I went to Babson College. I'm a pr- proud beaver <laughs> and uh, graduated Babson in 2005. I, I studied entrepreneurship there, so always really intended to be an entrepreneur. Worked for a year after that in commercial music production. Um, I worked for the company that um, created the Yahoo Yodel, for anybody who remembers that. The Yahoo Yodel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't make me uh, sing it for you. And um, after that, I got into commercial real estate brokerage. So I worked as a commercial real estate broker in New York City, representing both landlords and tenants. Uh, and I did that for about five and a half years. I, I focused at the time representing technology companies for office space, but also uh, doing data center deals throughout the country. And um leverage my experience as a commercial real estate broker uh, to start a commercial real estate tech company. And that's sort of uh, what, what led me to Comstack. Love it. Okay. So, you know, that transition is really interesting, right? Because you don't really hear about kind of real estate brokers becoming tech entrepreneurs. So tell us what that transition looked like, what kind of, you know, the, the story behind that, what you went through. Sure. Well, you know, the commercial real estate industry is incredibly antiquated. You know, I think people think of residential real estate as antiquated and and commercial real estate is several years behind the residential space. And so, you know, when I was a broker, I honestly, I was seeing opportunities everywhere in the day-to-day work I was doing. And I had a list that I was keeping of ideas to pursue. And it was really just a function of which one felt like the lowest hanging fruit and the best opportunity. Uh, And so... More specifically, when I was a broker, we would trade comps with each other. So comps are comparables. And in our our case, I was focused on leasing. So we would be trading information about commercial lease transactions that had taken place. So Citigroup or Facebook or JP Morgan or whoever signed a lease in this building. They paid this much in rent. They got this type of concessions from the landlord and the term was this long and whatever, you know, all the details of these deals. And Brokers in the industry would trade these comps amongst each other over the phone or via email. And then all the major brokerage firms would have a, a Monday morning meeting where in each firm where you would have to sit around a big conference table with all the other brokers and talk about the deals that you heard about. And so 
as a broker, I'd be frantically calling other brokers on Sunday night to get whatever comps I could for my Monday morning meeting just so I could share them in the meeting. And that's really where the idea for CompStack came, which is that we were all sharing this information, information which, by the way, is not in the public record. You know, It's only just informally exchanged in the industry. We're all trading this information in the industry, and yet there's no database where we can all actually find this deal information and, and make sense of it. And rather than trade you know, specific information that's useful to each other, we're always just trading random information. And the thought was, well, if we're all comfortable sharing this information anyway, Let's find a way to trade it online and make it searchable so that you can find specifically what you need when you need it rather than random information in exchange for other random information. Got it. So it sounds like you were scratching your own itch, making your life easier, and then that's how it, you, know, you, you, take, you scratch your own itch and then you transition that into technology and then boom, you, you, you have Comstack. Exactly, yep. Cool, great. So how do you guys make money? What's the business model like? Sure. So... Um, the way it works is we have two sides to our platform. We have Comstack Exchange, where commercial real estate brokers, appraisers, and research people within real estate brokerage firms share information on Comstack. They earn credits for sharing that information, which is like a virtual currency. And they can use those credits to get other information back out. And then we end up with a comprehensive database of all, the, in this case, the lease comps in the market. We now do other information as well. And then we sell subscription access to that database to commercial real estate investors and lenders primarily. So our customers are people like Wells Fargo and JP Morgan and Blackstone and BlackRock and Tishman Spire, Brookfield, what have you. So major institutional real estate investors and lenders pay for access to our data and they use it to make their real estate decisions. Great. And so how did you, I guess, you know, how are you pricing this right now, and how did you even come up with the pricing model? So two questions. Coming up with a pricing model was, uh, was an interesting challenge. You know, we basically looked at the way other real estate data was priced and, um, or other real estate data services were priced, and a lot of it was per seat. But the problem with per seat was that you know, when you're just starting off, you can only sell a couple seats at a time, and when you're providing data – you know, you run the risk of it being used as a, quote, librarian tool where you've got one person who has access to the data and they share it with everybody else. And so the way we priced is we basically said, well, what are the most expensive real estate data products priced per seat for a minimum number of seats? You know, initially we did it for two seats, but we actually priced it even higher than that. And we, we said this is the minimum price to get in for just originally it was just New York City. And then we expanded to more and more markets throughout the country. But we've always actually been priced – you know, on the higher end of real estate data tools, but that's a function of the fact that our data is incredibly proprietary. No one else has the data that we do and can sell it. So we felt that we should be a premium product. And we just went out there with that pricing and people, you know, bought it. You know, we continue to tweak our pricing model every day and, you know, make sure that it fits the use cases of our customers and meets the value that they're getting out of it. But um, there wasn't an exact science to it. It was you know, we've tried to make it as scientific as we can, but it was it wasn't easy. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of the assumption is like, you know, if you know so and so is paying, you know, this X amount, and we're delivering this amount of value, we should be able to charge this much, and then it kind of just worked, and you guys are tweaking from there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Got it. And so, how much, like, kind of, I guess, on average, are you guys charging right now? Um, just so I have an idea. So, for our kind of core 
enterprise product, it's an average contract size of about $50,000. But our contracts range anywhere from low five figures to you know high six figures on the enterprise side of our business. And then we also do API integration deals and partnership deals, and those are all six and seven figure deals. Got it. So it just basically depends on the size of the company, right? Ultimately. Yeah. Well, it's a function of there's a you know we actually have a, a pricing matrix. Interesting. That takes a lot of things into account. It's like we built a calculator, and the calculator takes into account the size of the organization, the type of organization that it is, which markets they want access to, and how many markets they want access to, as well as the number of users. And basically, you plug in all that information, and it spits out a price. Love it. Okay, so your salespeople, if they're on the call, they just use the pricing matrix, spit something out, and then boom, there's the quote. Exactly, yeah. Got it. Okay, love it. So what what other kind of numbers can you share around the business day? Growth rates, revenues, customers, things like that? Sure. Well, so our, our revenues have, you know, roughly doubled year over year. You know, we, we are, we're growing, growing very, very well. Um, our user base tends to roughly double year over year as well. And our database as well, our data growth has been pretty close to that. So it's, it's pretty exponential growth. Um, we don't give out, you know, specific revenue numbers, but, um, you know, we're really happy with the, the growth that we've had and we've been able to bring in some major institutional customers. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, BlackRock and who else did you mention? Uh, I mentioned Blackstone, Tishman Spire, Brookfield, uh, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan. Got it. People like that. So they're major, you know, major institutional real estate investors and lenders are our biggest customers. Yeah, I, I love it. And I think they probably, I mean, once they buy in, they probably aren't going to go anywhere for a while, right? And these are probably annual contracts. They are annual contracts. Some are, some are multi-year contracts. And, um, yeah, no, they, they are, they're very, very sticky. I mean, our, we have negative net churn, you know, our expansion of these contracts substantially outpaces, you know, the, the churn of the contracts. So they, they tend to be very sticky. And like I said, I mean, we were lucky in that we provide a data set that no one else has. So provided that we continue to grow that data, the database and provide value and, and show good value up front the value tends to only get better with time. Yeah. And I, I think I remember I remember you uh, talking about in another talk about how you guys have a crowdsource model. So how does that work exactly? Because you mentioned in the past, people would just kind of share information. You'd call people last minute just to not look like a scrub in a meeting. But you know, how does a crowdsource model work? And I guess even going back, you know, how did you even come up with that? Sure. Well, so the idea really just came out of the way that I was used to doing things as a broker. So when I was a broker... I would trade comps with other brokers and they would give me other comps in return. And it was basically, you know, it wasn't an exact, you know, one for one, but it was roughly that, you know, and the idea came out of just trying to take that offline experience and move it online. So we built a, but we tried to improve on it and make it more fair and equitable than it was offline. So our members earn credits for submitting data to Comstack. The credits are like a virtual currency. And the number of credits they receive is tied to the uniqueness of the data that we received it before, the comprehensiveness of it, so how complete that you know deal record is, for instance, and the recency. You know, is it a recent deal or is it an old deal? And the better the data they provide and the more comprehensive, the more credits they earn. And they can use those credits to get other data back out. 
but it ends up being roughly one for one. So for every lease you know, transaction you put into Comstack, you can get one lease transaction out. For every sales transaction, you can get roughly one sales transaction out. Uh, and then you know, the credits can also be used for property-level data and things like that. Love it. You know, this kind of reminds me of uh, data.com is a good example where, you know, you give like a contact information and you get one back kind of thing. So I, I, it seems like that's how it works. Um, so I, I love it. You know, what's interesting too, I mean, I, I guess in the, the venture capital uh, world, there's a couple of, you know, companies out there like CB Insights, Mattermark, all those. And they all basically, you know, they, they aggregate a ton of data and they, they, they sell it, right? Um, so there's something to be said about, you know, th- these kinds of, um, these kinds of businesses. And, you know, I guess this leads to my next question. You guys have raised roughly about $21 million, right? Well, we've raised, as of right now, $16.75 million in equity and $3 million in venture debt. Got it. Okay, great. So, you know, what are you doing with all that cash raised right now? What's it mainly going towards? Uh, we've spent most of that cash. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, at, that, at this point, most of our most of our operations are covered by our revenues. But, um, you know, we have a data team that is responsible for getting these this data into the system and, and cleaning up the data. And we have data scientists that, you know, create insights from the data and, and help also maintain our data quality. We have our exchange business development team, which is responsible for building up that exchange of members and building relationships with commercial real estate brokers and appraisers and research people and getting them to share data on Comstack. And, and they're responsible for launching all of our new markets and getting those markets going because we have to launch every market individually one by one and get the exchange going in every market one by one. We have our sales team, which is responsible for selling the end product on the enterprise side. We have client success for you know, maintaining those, those customer relationships. Um, we have marketing. We have tech, obviously, and product. And um, I don't know, that's basically it, finance. <laughs> cool. Love it. Yeah, so, I mean, for you guys, I mean, how did you go about acquiring, let's just say, your first 100 customers? Sure. Well, it's really just been a function of, um, well, we have SDRs and we have account executives. And the SDRs field, field a lot of inbound interest which is, you know, kind of dri- draw, driven by our marketing efforts and just brand recognition. And then they feel a lot of inbounds and they also do outbound calls and emails. Those leads get passed on to our account executives and um, our account executives go to a lot of conferences, follow up on, you know, leads from, from the SDRs, create their own opportunities and um, do a lot of in-person meetings and a lot of phone calls. But most of our contracts, you know, have have some in person component to the sale. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I mean, like, w- what do you say to those people that come to you and they're like, you know, Michael, I, I love it, but you know, I just like to try it for a, a month. You know, I'll pay you this amount. How do you make the argument that you know, and then just, maybe this is like early day Mike selling this, um, but it's like, how do you make the argument that like it's like, no, you guys have to do an annual contract instead of you know all the people that want the one offs. Well, we'll do like a one week trial. Okay. And we'll let people try it out for a week. And if they say we want a month then you know, or two months or three months, we just, you know, typically say no, unless there's some really, really, really fantastic reason for it. Right. And what's, what's an example of a fantastic reason? That would be like if they're bringing on one group of people, you know, it's a potential 50 user contract and there's 10 people in one market who they're bringing on now. And then we're going to make, we're going to do meetings with different offices and we're going to bring on, do, we're going to onboard each of them and give them each 
you know, a one week trial over the course of a month or two, you know? Mm, Okay. But, you know, generally our feeling is, you know what, you can see the value in this in a day, certainly a week, you know, we'll give you a week so that you can find time to, to, you know, try out the trial if you, if you need that and you can see the value in it. But we also will give you an in-person demo and show you the platform and show you, you know, the data that would be interesting to you in the platform so you can find the value off the bat. Love it. Okay, great. It, it, I think you know the, the point being here is that you know not, not everything is is set in stone. Sometimes you make exceptions if it's going to be a potential you know whale deal. Sometimes it's okay to do that, right? So you know you talked about kind of the first hundred customers. Sounds like a lot of you know sales kind of SDRs, AEs. What's kind of the like a unique thing you're doing in terms of customer acquisition today, if anything? Probably the most unique thing you know, is that we've been doing a lot of API deals as of late, API and data partnerships and integrations with other software platforms. And so, you know, we just, at the end of the quarter, we just signed two big API deals today. And those are much more complex and they take a lot longer to close, but they're large six and seven figure deals. So they're worthwhile. And they've it's become an increasingly larger area of our business. We've been finding that you know, for some of these big companies and, and some of the more sophisticated customers, they've got internal platforms that they're working with and they know how to work with APIs now. And the landscape has changed with a lot of these enterprise customers that they actually have in-house capabilities to know what an API is and how to use it. Um, and then also, you know, because our data is so unique, it tends to be complementary to a lot of other companies in the real estate technology or real estate data space. And so we found ways to partner with other people's platforms and integrate our data into their platforms or integrate algorithms or, or derive data from our platform into theirs. Okay. So what's, what's an example of, you know, uh, of a company that would like, uh, I guess an example use case of somebody, you know, integrating with your API? Well, so there's, there's different ones. I mean, the one that we probably, you know, made the biggest splash with as of late has been a, a partnership we signed with Moody's. Okay. And so Moody's is, you know, one of the world's largest credit rating agencies. They also have a, a division called Moody's Analytics, which is effectively a technology company that sells a technology and data company that sells analytics and um, builds really interesting products in a lot of different spaces. One of those spaces being commercial real estate. So our data is being used in a risk product that they have called Commercial Mortgage Metrics, which is a it's called a loss given default model. It's a platform that helps lenders understand the probability of default of a commercial real estate asset and they use our data to you know inform those algorithms and then we're building new products together with them that can use our data in, in you know new creative ways and and that, that's pretty exciting as well yeah that, that is exciting so i'm assuming for those deals you know a lot of custom work like you mentioned but i i have to think that your your pricing matrix probably doesn't work anymore and you have to do a lot of custom pricing so how do you price these <laughs> Yeah, they're really difficult. I mean, the way we structure them is we basically have three screens for them. You know, what is the, we, we look to see, does this partnership provide, it depends actually, because there's two types of API deals, right? There's the ones where we integrate ourselves into some other company's product, and then there are the ones where we provide an API to to a customer, right? If it's a, If it's integrated into someone else's product, the screens are, you know, does this product, provide does this integration provide a lot of distribution for us does it provide a lot of revenue for us and does it potentially cannibalize us and so you know if something provides a ton of distribution for us we maybe will look for less revenue if it has a high cannibalization risk then either we won't do the deal or we'll ask for a lot more money 
So that's one aspect. And then the other kind of deals, you know, with existing customers, those are even trickier because we price per seat. Um, and so how do we structure an API deal with a customer that could potentially be using us on our platform and be buying seats that doesn't cannibalize that seat growth over time? Because we've seen, you know, some of our contracts grow by, we have exponential growth as we've added seats over time. And, you know, we don't want to just give somebody API access that could potentially cannibalize that seat growth. And so sometimes we'll only offer them derived data that, or, you know, access to our algorithms or something like that. And we benchmark, you know, these deals against previous API deals we've done in the past. So the first few were just somewhat of a crapshoot, you know, and then over time we got a sense of what the pricing could be or should be and have benchmarked our new deals against those. Got it. Yeah, I think this ties back to my point earlier. There's no one size fit all, you know, when, when it comes to deals like this, you know, you sometimes have to think about getting creative and that's certainly what you've done. So I, I love it. Um, just a couple more questions here as we wrap, work towards wrapping up. Tell me about one big struggle you faced while growing this business. I think the biggest struggle is tying data growth to revenue growth. You know, one thing that was a, a hard lesson learned on the job was that the you know, a high-growth VC-backed company looks for a hockey stick kind of growth, right? Right. But for a data company, the hockey stick is different. The what? what do you, I don't know what you call the, the bottom part of the hockey stick, but that part is much longer on a data company. The And perhaps the exponential growth on, the, on the, the, the long stick part of the hockey stick is maybe even steeper for a data company. You know, but you have to have a lot of data, and the data has to be really relevant and once it is, you can sell that data over and over and over again with very, very good margins. But you have to build up that data and build a tremendous database first. And that was a, a hard learned lesson because, you know, we've been building up the database for years. And how many years? Um, well, we've been at it now, you know, just about six years. Okay. And, you know, we actually have seen that inflection point in the hockey stick at multiple times because we actually have to hit it on a market by market basis. <laughs> huh. Every market has its own inflection point, but um, it's been interesting to watch, you know, as, as that's happened. And, uh, but I think, you know, the other thing is once you create a formidable database, you have an incredibly high barrier to entry, you know, and um, incredible margins. So it's, it's worth it in the long run, but you have to really account for that, you know, earlier on as you're building the business and understand that you're building a data business and, and what that means as it relates to what you should expect for the amount of capital you have to invest and the amount of revenue you can expect over the course of time. Love it. Okay. Well, what do you, what are some kind of good habits that you've fostered? I guess we can even talk about kind of daily habits in terms of how you structure your day. I mean, how does that look? I, I wish I had better, better habits for structuring my day. You know, I do my best. I, as CEO, I get pulled in a lot of directions and into a lot of meetings. You know, one thing I do, frankly, is I have earplugs in my desk and I put in, and if I need to focus on something, I put in the earplugs, <laughs> you know, to focus in, 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 on, on something. I do a lot of work on the weekends and at night, a lot of the stuff that involves, you know, some real thinking and do a lot of meetings, you know, during the week and just try to put everything on my calendar, you know, so that I don't, I, I, I don't miss anything and I kind of live and die 
by my calendar. That's that's sort of the name of the game for me. Yeah, you, you seem like a true grinder. So how many, I mean, you know, what time do you usually get into office? Or a better question, what time do you usually start work on, on like a weekday? And what time do you stop working? Sure. Well, I don't put in the same kind of hours that I used to because I have a um, a six-month-old and a, uh, a three-year-old. <laughs> so, you know, I get in, you know, it's, it's, we're in New York, so things seem to start, things just start a little later here. I get in you know, nine, nine thirty. Um, I used to kind of leave the office around nine, nine thirty. Now I leave the office, you know, more typically, you know, around seven thirty. maybe, you know, or, or if I can, I try to get out even a little earlier and make sure I'm home for bedtime, <laughs> but it's not always easy. And then I, you know, I tend to do some more work on the couch at home. Cool. Yeah, we're, we're getting close to your 7.30 time, so I'm, I'm going to get hit these last two questions, and then uh, we'll let you get on your way here. Uh, what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot, a lot of value? So, for example, it could be like Evernote. Yeah, so on the sales side, we brought on uh, Insight Squared, mm. which is an analytics platform that is built is on top of Salesforce, and that's been uh, that's been really, really cool. That's one that's probably in the last year, but it, it, along those lines, we big fan of Periscope, which we've been using for several years now, which is awesome from a business analytics standpoint. Great. Love it. Okay, so Periscope and Insight Squared have heard incredible things about both of those. What is one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Could be entrepreneurial business, could be fiction. Must-read book. Good question. Right now, I'm reading that the, the the new book by that uh, the, the Moneyball guy whose name is totally escaping me, uh, Michael Lewis. But uh, and all of his books are awesome. The, the, the new book is about uh, Danny Kahneman and uh, Anton Tversky, the the guys who founded created behavioral economics. So uh, those are interesting books. I don't know if it's the the absolute must read, but it's a good one. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Oftentimes it's just kind of whatever is is top of mind. So yeah, we'll we'll add that to the show notes. First time I heard about that one. So Mike, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Well, I'm uh, my my Twitter is Comstack CEO. My LinkedIn is M Mandel, and uh, you know people can also email me. I'm just Michael at Comstack dot com. Awesome, Mike. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Awesome. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.